Yeah, you guys are with me now. I'm starting to feel it. I'm starting to see it in your faces. Energized. God is good. See, I grew up in church. So when you say God is good, then yeah, you go. You guys got it. God is good. And then every now and then they'd say, and all the time. You guys remember that? Man, I like that. We should bring that back. That's a throwback. That's a hashtag TBT. God is good. All the time. So today is, oh, you got, okay, okay, I see you. All right, go ahead and preach the house down. I'll get with you. I'll get in your amen corner. I'm ready. Let's do this thing. So today's Father's Day. You guys know what? We serve a father who is so good. Isn't he good? Amen. If you've experienced the goodness of God in your life, let me hear you say amen. Amen. I've experienced the goodness of God in my life. And I want to speak to you guys from the subject today of the prodigal father, okay? So you probably already know the story that I'm going to read this morning from the scriptures. I want you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 15. If you have your app or your, your Bible, open it up, please, to Luke 15. I, um, I haven't finished the entire podcast from last week. I got the chance to listen to about half of it while I was prayer walking alongside the ocean. Now, I know I just evoke some holy jealousy. But next time, I just want all of you guys to come with us to Kona. Are you guys in or what? Okay. Man, I'm believing for a church that gets to travel the nations together. Why not just take the whole church? You know? The half, well, I was getting DMs. Some people were sliding into the DMs. They were like, hey, can we just plant a legacy Kona? And I was like, you know what? Yep. Hey, it's a good idea. So I listened to Pastor Asif, his message on the podcast as I was prayer walking uh, the, the, the ocean. I wasn't walking on the ocean. That would have been a miracle. But I was walking alongside of it, and I was listening um, to the message last week. And Asif spoke from Luke 15. He talked about um, the three parables that Jesus shared in Luke 15 about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And so what I want to do, what I want to do today is just focus on the story found in Luke 15 that we traditionally call the prodigal son. So let's start there. If, you, if you're uh, in Luke 15, just say amen. amen. If you're not, that's okay. You can just read along on the screen. I want to start by reading verses 1 through 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners, everybody say sinners, Sinners. were all drawing near to him. This was commonplace in the scriptures when we read the story of Jesus Christ. We see that he was constantly flocked on all sides by people who were considered to be sinners. Amen? And the Pharisees and the scribes, everyone say the religious people. They grumbled, they were there as well, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this is interesting to point out that the religious were disgruntled about the fact that Jesus ate with known sinners. Because in this day and age, to eat with someone was to publicly communicate friendship with them. So here's Jesus claiming to be the son of God, offending the religious people by eating 
with the sinners. You know the people who never come to church? You know the people who don't abide by any religious regulations? You know the people who the church has kicked out and marginalized and has said, you're not a good Christian? Those were the very people that Jesus was inviting to the table to eat with them. And the religious people were upset. Now, Jesus was an amazing communicator. Believe it or not, he was an incredible speaker. He understood who was around him. He understood his two audiences. So whenever he tells the parable that we call the prodigal son, he is understanding that on one hand, he's got the sinners, and on the other hand, he's got religious people. So everybody say it with me again. Sinners Sinners. and religious people. That's who's in the audience as Jesus is giving his sermon on this day. So let's go to the next slide and let's read the message that Jesus gives called the prodigal son. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Everybody say, that's a good dad. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Everybody say sin. Sin. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. He's in pretty bad shape, the younger son. But when he came to himself, I don't know about you guys, but I remember the day when I came to myself. You know, when you were living in the pigsty, when you were separated from God, surrounded by sin and despair, and then you remembered the love of the Father and you turned around and you came to yourself. Do you remember that day? Man, that was a glorious day. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So that was the younger son's plan. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, let's read that sentence together. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now I want you guys to know that it's not just a handful of people who begin to celebrate. This is an entire community, a village, a city that begins to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he hears music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. 
And he said to him, well, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. Everybody say angry. Angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look. So he was, he was pretty upset. Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you notice here how the, uh, how the older brother brings up the younger brother's sin to the good father. He's like, hey, have you forgotten, good father? Look, this son of yours, have you forgotten that he demanded his inheritance early and he squandered it in sin? See, he's questioning the father's decisions. You killed the fattened calf for him? Are you serious? And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all, everybody say all. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother, this, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. How amazing is this story? Wow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you that you use it today. The word that is sharper than any two-edged sword to cut away things from our lives that you don't like and that don't bring you glory and chisel out our true purpose, our true identity in you and bring it forth today in your beauty, in your glory, all for the goodness of your name. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen and amen. So as we read this story, we notice that there are three characters in Jesus's parable. We see first the younger brother. We see then the older brother. But then we also have a third character in Jesus's story, which is the good father. Everybody say the good father. And Jesus uses this parable to preach a masterful message to his audience. As we noticed before, Jesus has two different companies surrounding him, one of which are sinners. Everybody say sinners again. Sinners. Now, the reason why Jesus shares this parable and talks about the younger brother first is because the sinners in the audience are representative of the younger brother. And so he's sharing this message to get to their hearts. They know who they are. They know that they've messed up. They know that they've squandered their inheritance with wild and sinful living. And so he's speaking directly to their hearts by sharing this parable about this younger brother who has lived in sin, but who is now coming home to a good father. And so he uses this side of the audience to communicate the idea of being a younger brother. So if you're in here today and you are a sinner, all right, take heart because there is a good father that Jesus preaches to us about that's got your number this morning. On the other hand, there are Pharisees and scribes. Everybody say the religious people. So Jesus isn't finished making parallels because he looks to the religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes as representatives of the older brother. All right. 
They are in the house. They go to church. They serve on Sunday. They pay their tithe. They live upstanding, righteous, and moral lives. All of their behavior is spot on. And yet they too are estranged from the Father's heart, separated from his love, and ultimately lost. And so he is preaching to both the sinner and the religious person. He's preaching to the person that's far away from church and the person who goes to church every single time the doors are open. He's preaching to the people who can't stand the idea of being a part of a church community. And he's preaching to the people who are serving every week, that wear the robes, that give, that do all the right stuff. He's preaching to both audiences. And he's saying both of you are lost unless you are in touch with the heart of the good father. And so he starts to preach about this and he speaks first to the younger brother. Everybody say again, the sinners. The sinners. And he, he, he lays out this story. Now, I want you to know that in this context, this is ancient Middle Eastern culture. So sometimes we forget about that because we read our own culture into the Bible. But this is ancient Middle Eastern culture. So for this younger son to come to this patriarch, this distinguished father, this pillar of the community, and to demand his inheritance early would be just absolute disrespect and dishonor to your elders. The father had a right to disown the son at that moment. He had a right to take him by the ear, escort him off the property, kick him in his rear end and say, get lost. Not only are you off of my estate, but you have been cleared and deleted from my will. I will see you later. But see, the younger brother does this, but he doesn't get met with a harsh rebuke. He gets met with glorious grace. He gets met with good mercy from a good father. And this father gives him his inheritance early. Now we think of that as being a pretty quick transaction, don't we? We think that, oh, okay, I get it. You know, the good father, he probably just walked down to Bank of America. He pulled out some money out of his account. He came back with a cashier's check and he said, here you go, you ungrateful little brat. Now I will see you later. You know, but see, this is ancient Middle Eastern culture. That's not the way things went down. He may have had some cash flow in the bank, but by and large, most of people's assets were tied up in property around this time. They had a deep connection to the property that they lived on. Oftentimes it was received as an inheritance from their fathers and their fathers and their forefathers. And so in order for this son to get his part of the inheritance, the good father would have to go and make an account of every single thing that he um, owned. He would have had to take inventory of every calf Every cow, every goat, every house, every shelter, every square inch of every acre of farmland, he would have had to take inventory of that and then he would have had to lay it all out and, and create the appropriate portion for this younger son's inheritance. Now, in this, in this time and in this culture, very interesting how they did inheritance because the older sibling always received double of what the other siblings received. That was the way it was done then. So once he added up, the father added up all of the stuff that he owned, he took two thirds and he divided it this way. And he said, this is gonna go to the other brother, but here's one third and I'm gonna push it over here. And this is what I'm gonna give to the younger brother. So after he had calculated that up, figured out what one third was, got all the cash that he had, you know, his liquid assets, he gave that to the younger, he sold off his property, he gave that to the younger. 
See, we don't realize that the younger asking the father for his inheritance early meant that the father had to literally rip his life apart in order to respond to the request. So the good father rips his life apart. He sells off property that he possibly has inherited for generations upon generations. He pulls out everything, he takes everything, and he gives the one-third portion of his inheritance to this ungrateful father who is estranged from his good heart. Ungrateful son, who is estranged from his good heart. And he says, here you go, here it is. You notice, see, the sin of the younger was that he didn't really love the father. What he loved was the father's stuff. He didn't have any connection to the father's heart. All of his connection was wrapped up in the father's possessions. And he said, you know what? This relationship between you and I is actually getting in the way of me getting your stuff. So give me your stuff now and I will divorce relationship with you. I will leave and go to a different place and I will spend my inheritance however I feel like. So you guys know the story. That's exactly what happens, right? The younger brother takes one third of all that the father has. He leaves out. He spends all of his money in sin and wild living. And eventually we see him absolutely broke as a joke in a pigsty, longing for the food that he is feeding some pigs. And he comes up with this amazing plan. He thinks to himself, you know, there's plenty of food in my father's house. Even the hired servants have plenty to eat. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to repent before my father and I'm going to beg and I'm going to plead for him to make me as a hired hand. Now, there's a difference between a servant and a hired hand. A servant in this time, they lived on the estate. They worked on the estate. They were kind of an extension of the family. But a hired hand was different. They would come onto the estate. They would learn a trade, apprentice, but then they would live in the village. They weren't seen as part of the family at all. They were completely excluded from the family. And yet they would come on every day, receive a wage. And so this was his plan. I'll go back, I'll live in the village, I'll learn a trade, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll repent to the father, I'm not even a son anymore, I'm not a part of the family anymore, but I'll go back and I'll apprentice and I'll get some money and then all the money that I get, I'll give back to the father to try to pay back everything that I have taken from him and misused in all of that time that I've been away from him. I'm gonna repent. That was his plan. You know, that was his grand plan. He thought this is gonna work. This is what I'm gonna do. So he sets on his journey towards his house, you know, towards home. How many of you guys know that when you find the father, you find home, right? When you meet the good father, you find a good home. And so he was, he was running from home before, but now he's running to home because he's thinking, man, I got to make things right. I got to repent of my stuff. And so perhaps he's hanging his head and he's moving slow because he realizes I'm seeing some familiar sights. I'm getting close. I know this is the road home. There's my house. I can barely see it now. And it just so happens that the good father is standing out on the porch. And it's interesting what we see happen because you notice he's not like tapping his foot like there better be some good groveling happening. How dare this son of mine come back on my property? What a disrespectful little twerp. What a little punk. Here he is thinking he's going to come back in, in, into my home. He's got another thing coming. He ripped my life. We don't see that happening, do we? We see the good father jump off the porch 
gather up his robe and begin to run at a mad dash to the younger brother. Now, there is no way that a Middle Eastern patriarch is going to sprint, especially not in public. They just didn't do that. They wore these longer robes and it was seen as childish for a, for a distinguished man to run. But the good father didn't even care about how he would be perceived by the public. He didn't care how the religious people and those who always did right would perceive his behavior. He gathers up his robe, he bares his legs and he begins to sprint. Children sprinted during this time. Women may have sprinted during this time, but a patriarch didn't sprint. But he, on the other hand, sprints to the center. You see his bare legs, which would have been embarrassment. But not to him. He didn't care because his boy was home. And so this rehearsed message, you know, the younger brother, he has this rehearsed repentance speech. Oh, God, oh, God, you know, oh, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. And the good father doesn't even allow him to finish his repentance speech before he even has a chance to confess all of his sin, the father falls on him and in public begins to weep over him and accept him back into the family and receive him home with celebration. And before the, the younger brother can say anything else about what he's done wrong, the father starts making a big deal out of who he is. And he says, you are a son, you were dead, but now you're alive. Go get me the robe. And not just any robe, not just some old nasty tattered robe that one of the servants wear. He said, bring me the best robe. Yeah. You know, wow. you, who, who, who did the best robe belong to? It belonged to the father because the best robe in the house would have been his. And that would have been that robe. And you guys all have this outfit, right? Maybe for you ladies, it's a you know, dress with sequins on it. For me, it's like a double-breasted suit that I had for my wedding. And that one's in the back of the closet. You know, it's right there. It's like I reserve it for special occasions. That's what the father said. Hey, go get that. I want you to go to the very back of the closet. I want you to get my best piece of clothing, my best robe, that one thing that I went broke on, you know, that I put on my credit card that I couldn't afford at the time, and now I'm savoring and saving. Okay, so you guys have never done that. So that must have been first service. But go get that and bring it back and drape that over his shoulders because it's my robe. And this is not just an article of clothing. This is a public statement of reinstatement that this is my boy. He's not estranged or separated, but he is back in the family. You're not a servant. You're not a hired hand. You're a son. That's what he says. Hey, hey, I'll just be a hired. Nope. You're a son. Hey, but you know, just let me pay my debt back. God, you don't know how much I've sinned. Nope. You're a son. Yeah, but you don't realize I was hanging with prostitutes, man, and I was, I was a drunk, and I, w I was living in a pigsty, and I was nasty, and I've done some stuff I'm not proud. Nope, you're a son. No, God, I don't think you understand how bad that I am. Can't you at least just let me attempt to repay you with a lot of good deeds and a lot of right behavior and all of the good things? You know, can I? Nope, you're a son. And he lets him in. He reinstates him back into the family. And if you're here today and you find yourself looking a little bit like the younger brother and you're like, man, you know, I have sinned. I am far from God. I am estranged from the father. Then this parable is for you. Just like the, you know, sinners and the tax collectors who were hanging out with Jesus and listening to this message. If you're like one of them today, this message is for you. 
God is so good. The Father is so good. He loves you so much that before you even get a chance to fully repent, before you even get a chance to confess the long list of sins that you have committed against his holiness, he falls upon your neck in weeping, in crying, in tears, thankful that you have come home and has reinstated you as a son. He's got a robe for your back. He's got a ring for your finger. He's got shoes for your feet and he's getting ready to throw you the biggest party that the community has ever seen. How awesome is that? But you know, that's not really where the story stops, is it? If the story stopped there, it would make for a great sermon. It would be an amazing sermon. In fact, most people, when they preach it, will stop there. But Jesus continues on because Jesus has a message, not just for the sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus actually has a message for the Pharisees and the scribes. See, the first portion of his sermon was reserved for the younger brothers in the audience, but the latter portion was reserved for the older brothers in the audience, the religious people. Now, he says, speaking with them concerning the older brothers, will you not come in to the feast? Will you not come into the party that I'm throwing for the younger brother? What does the older brother do? He, re, he, he rebukes. He says, no, this son of yours, I'm not coming in. I'm going to stand out here. I want the whole community to see me. I want the whole community to see the fact that I'm not going into that feast because I'm trying to make a public statement that I disagree with the good father's actions. How many of you guys have ever been offended by the goodness of God to somebody else who doesn't deserve it as much as you do? Have you ever been offended by God's blessing to somebody that you perceive to be a sinner? Somebody who's not as righteous as you. Somebody who doesn't fast as much. Somebody who doesn't come to church as much. Somebody who doesn't, you know, always keep it holy. Maybe they're out partying or they do something wrong, but then God blesses them. You ever just want to rebuke God for that? Are you serious, God? Have you seen what they've been posting on Facebook? They went Instagram live last night and they were in the club. <laughs> Have you seen that? Are you, and you're blessing them? That you're blessing them? They're at church, they're encountering you. You know, they get, they get saved. You're blessing them on their job, they're getting promoted. Are you serious? They're a sinner. And then, and then the father's like, oh, come into the feast as well. I want you to come into the feast as well. You know, for me, this parable really hits home because about a year ago, I was experiencing this myself. I was so upset about the fact that God was blessing somebody else. Have you ever been there before? Two people. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm three. Honestly, you guys, here's the deal. I met, I met someone and uh, I thought they were super mean and unkind. And the next thing I know, God's blessing them and pouring out blessing upon them. And it looks like everything that they're touching is turning to gold and that they're just the epitome of success. And I'm scratching my head trying to figure out why God's blessing somebody that's mean. Because after all, I've been a good guy. I've been moral. I've been ethical. I go to church. I pastor a church. I preach and I disciple people. God, do you not see all of the stuff that I do for you? But see, that's elder brother behavior. That's what older brothers do. 
they do good works, not because they delight in good deeds themselves, but they keep a list of all the things that they do right so they can hold it up before the good father to control him and to manipulate him and say, because I've done good, you owe me good. The older brother was just as lost as the younger brother. The older brother was just as estranged from the father's heart as the younger brother. The younger brother said, hey, look, I'm gonna go ahead and leave this relationship now. Give me my stuff. But what the older brother did, he said, you know, I'm gonna stay around and stay connected with you, but it's still about your stuff. Guys, one night I was in my bed and I was like, I was, I was literally cussing at God. Are you guys afraid to hear that from your pastor? Hey, my bad. I didn't give a disclaimer. It's a rated R sermon. It's for real people who have real issues, who serve a real good God, who need some real grace that without him are really ugly a lot of the time. And I'm like kicking in my bed. I couldn't sleep because I was so mad. I was like, God, I cannot believe you're blessing those mean people. I was like, I deserve the blessing. I should be getting the blessing. I'm so angry at you. I do not like your decisions. You are not good. And after an hour of complaining and rebuking a good father, I don't know if I was keeping my wife wife up or not, but I was like kicking. Like I was that upset. You ever been that mad before? Where you just can't, you're just like, ah, like grinding and gritting your teeth. That was me. I was like, I was I was like, God, you really burned my biscuits this time. I'm teed off, you know? And God said, get your Bible out. Turned it to Luke 15. He said, I want you to read the, the story of the prodigal son. And, and I read through it and I read through it again, I read through it again. I said, God, what are you trying to say to me? He said, who are you in this story? I said, oh, I'm the older brother. Ah, okay, you're the older brother. So you're trying to manipulate me by your, with your good behavior. And you can't just celebrate the fact that I decided to bless somebody else because I'm a good dad and I can do what I want with my goodness. You're so offended by my goodness to someone else that you're refusing to celebrate with them. You're refusing to come into the feast. You're refusing to take part of the, take part of the party. I don't know if you've ever been there before but I believe I got more than one, more than two elder brothers in the house this morning who have experienced that. But here's the good news. The the same father, the same good father that jumped off the porch and ran to the younger brother came outside of the party and petitioned and began to plead with the older brother. And he said, I want you to come inside. I want you to be a part. I want you to come home. I want you to know my goodness. I want you to know my love. You know, the reason why I titled this message, the prodigal father is because the son in the story actually wasn't the prodigal. Because according to Webster's dictionary, you know what prodigal means? Recklessly extravagant or having spent everything. The son wasn't the prodigal. The prodigal was the father. 
Because when he rescued you, he was recklessly extravagant. He spent everything on his son so that he could invite you into the celebration, so that he could bring you home, so that he could bring you into his goodness, so that he could lavish you with restoration and identity, with favor and with blessing. And it doesn't matter if you were sinning last night, that you were in darkness, you were drunk, had a needle in your arm, you were sexually promiscuous, you were watching pornography, whatever it is that's got you beaten down, destroyed and ashamed today, God is running after you. Before you ever have, a, have a, the opportunity to recite your list of sin, He's gonna bring you into the house. And if you've been doing all the right stuff for years, going to church every time the door is open, but you're struggling with anger, you notice that the older son said, I'm angry. I was angry in my bed that night. I was angry. And if you get angry every time that God doesn't allow you to live a good life, even though you're living the good life, I'm doing all the right things, God. Why is this happening to me? I'm angry. Then you're not doing the good things for God. You're doing the good things for yourself. You're not going to get a whole lot of amens on that, huh? Right? You know, here's how repentance works in the kingdom. We repent for the things that we do wrong. But we also repent for the reasons why we do things right. Think about that. We not only repent for the things that we do wrong, but we also need to repent for the reasons why we do the things right. What's our motives? What's our motives for living holy? Is it so that we get blessed or is it because we're in a relationship with a good father and we wanna reflect his goodness to the world? Are we just doing good things so that we can manipulate and attempt to control a good God so that he's reminded of our holiness whenever it's his turn to pass out blessing? I want to repent for the reasons why I do the right things. I not just repent for the wrong things. I don't know if you guys are exci as excited as me about this, but I'm excited about the fact that I got a good daddy and that despite what I've gone through and despite where I am and despite what I may have brought with me today, the good father is here. The prodigal father is here. He's recklessly extravagant. He's pouring everything on the cross. Through His Son, Jesus, He brings us near. It's your time to be reinstated. It's your time to walk in the fullness of who you really are. Will you guys get with me today? So I just want to invite you to stand up. And we're going to pray. Here's what I want to do. First group I want to pray with are those of you who are here today and you feel like the younger brother. If, if you're like, man, I am far from God. I am far from God. I, I am living in sin. I'm not correct with Christ. I'm so distant. I just want you to lift your hand real quick. Every eye closed, if you don't mind, just every eye closed. If you feel far from God today and you just want me to pray with you, I see you, awesome. If you're the younger brother, I see you, amazing, awesome. And you want me to pray with you right now. We're gonna pray right now. We're gonna welcome you home in Jesus' name. One more moment. I see you, awesome, amazing. Awesome, I see you. Come on, come on, amen. So right now in Jesus' name, we welcome you home. Everybody repeat after me. Whether you raised your hand or not, say, Jesus, I receive your sacrifice, your blood for my sin. You've cleansed me, you washed me, you purified me. 
I repent and I receive your grace. Fill me with the Holy Spirit to live a righteous and pure life before you, for you, and with you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. So as we're closing today, I just want to say thank you, God. Thank you, good father. And thank all of the good fathers in this room for leading and grooming and shaping your children as a part of this family to be passionate fathers of Jesus Christ. The more you look upon the good father, the more you'll be a good father. And so we bless you guys in Jesus' name. Can we just lift up a big shout one more time to Jesus? We bless you, God. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.